0: Pete, it's always so much fun to get together with you because we have so much to talk about. We always run out of time before we do topics. You, um, for those that aren't familiar with what you do in the market, you you do a lot of consulting, business practice, optimization, technology implementations uh, across the ecosystem. So you see things firsthand inside of operation, what's working, what's not. Sure. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this tech phenomenon, this venture capital. It feels like, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of years, is like, 2015-2022 2015-2022 to 2022 was this boom cycle in venture capital investing into the space, and now we're past that. We're at the other end of that cycle. And maybe this is sort of the end of it, and hopefully at some point we'll come to a new, new type of cycle. But before we do that, we have to clear off some of the excesses. Let's <laughs> we'll talk about where, from your, in your opinion, what are the things that are at most a risk in this climate?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You talk about so I I came to the space in 2015. Actually, I mean, I did some supply chain work before that, but kind of officially came to the space in 2015. And I think it's worth talking about that while we saw a huge increase in venture spend or, or venture investment. Um, there's there's been a huge uh, a major shift in in how transportation logistics businesses think about technology in that time frame, too, that I think enabled that. Um, and what, what we saw was that, you know, I mean, you look at like the Coyote, remember when UPS bought Coyote and a big part of their, they got this crazy multiple and a big part of that was because of their proprietary technology. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted proprietary technology. And at the same time, venture investment came in and started, started kind of creating technology for the people to enable small, mid-sized businesses. Um What I think gets under uh, covered, if you will, or, or isn't talked about enough, is that um, there wasn't there wasn't enough emphasis on adoption, successful adoption, utilization of technology and maximizing the value. And so what I see as kind of like the the biggest risk area are, Venture venture-backed businesses that have raised on huge valuations based on a future grand promise, when in reality they really only solve a very specific problem right now, and have to and have to kind of go through that maturation of as a business. How do you actually realize the value of the technology?
0: A point solution versus an actual platform that's going to overhaul the business. Totally. You you mentioned or you said something I think was interesting is that. At the time when Coyote sold to UPS, it was a crazy valuation. Totally. I want to put that in perspective for our audience that may not know. So it was uh, reportedly about one times revenue was the the number that I am familiar with, about <laughs> 1.8. When you go look at Convoy, sort of the peak of what it raised at versus what, you know, it was at four times X revenue was the peak but where it was at versus what it raised at. Right. And in some of the earlier parts of its raises, it was raising at 10, 20 even greater uh, uh, multiples on revenue. If you look at net revenue, the math is even more challenging there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not <laughs> I don't know that my calculator, my brain can do that math right now. Um, but when we look at what's happening, you know, Coyote certainly sent a message that this market was investable. Sure. And people were willing to take leaps. But there's been this entire breakout evolution of other investments that have take, taken place in the space where valuations haven't made a lot of sense, or sure. at least certainly are, are even more compelling than what Coyote was. What happened? Where did it, was it the investors were drunk on these business models and this sort of thought that they could go and disrupt this massively big industry? Were founders telling a story that didn't live up to its promise? Did everybody sort of serve everyone's mutual interest? Like, how did we get to a point where we now had companies that faced overfunding?
1: yeah i mean I think there's a question of of um you know were there valuations that people were trying to justify or or were they actually like was it a top down or bottoms up just- or uh valuation and then um you know i mean i've I've always kind of struggled with convoy was an incredible business they built best in class technology you know and at the same time I look at a company like Echo Global Logistics that has been known as kind of a tech-forward brokerage, a tech-enabled 3PL, which is effectively what Convoy um, uh, marketed themselves as. And, you know, I I think the Jordan Company's investment in Echo, taking Echo private a few years ago was probably one of the best transactions to ever happen in the history of the space. And, And it's because Jordan understood the business and made an investment based on the underlying economics of the business and not a software a software company valuation for a business that was really more of a tech-enabled services business.
0: And that was what, a $2 billion revenue business, a little bit over a billion-dollar exit? Yeah. Or a billion-dollar, well, uh, right? Yeah, purchase. Yeah, market. I yeah, mean, it was limit. half of what the Coyote investment was. And like we're talking about, uh, Convoy's math doesn't even, you know, it's, it's a completely different sort of uh, realm of possibility. You know, I have argued that Convoy failed because it had gotten overfunded. Is that sure. it, it? Fundamentally built a a good enterprise, one that wasn't profitable. But the challenge was it because it was priced per perfection. There were few options available for it as it sort of the market switched on it. Do you buy that philosophy, or do you think it's more fundamental?
1: Um, you know, over overfunding is an issue because then what ends up happening is. To justify the overfunding, you set growth projections, and then you have to—and then you justify spending money to hit the growth of projections. I mean, you know, I've seen reports the Convoy was burning 10000000 million-plus a month for the last year. Like, I mean, imagine if they just cut that number in half, which, based on my understanding of kind of their burn and what they were paying people, wouldn't have been—I I mean, it's not like they had to cut— the, um the headcount in half to to get to that savings so I, cut
0: the really high cost engineers and, and other
1: a hand, yeah some of them for sure I mean I think uh, you know and then but but the reality is is like you're justifying you're justifying spend as a means to an end and 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 the unfortunate reality is that how businesses are fundamentally valued has changed over the last 18 months like it's in in a high and this is where I don't I'm not enough, um, or I, I don't know kind of the, the finance side well enough, but my directional understanding is that in a low interest rate environment, the value of future cash flow is significantly higher than current. So right? just kind of cash flow
0: multiple. Right? Exactly. Like When you right? when you, your cost of capital goes up four or five, whatever multiple you apply to it, you're definitely going to impact the cash flows of the business.
1: Correct. And or the, so the,
0: the forecast cash the DCF model.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, yes. They're absolutely at, uh, a byproduct of of overfunding. And I also think that um, uh, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that the game and the metrics that they were used to be measured on changed in the middle of their, of their journey. And really and, in the
0: last year. Totally. Two years.
1: And, yeah, in the last 18 months. I mean, and that's – some businesses can adopt that. But when you've built an entire – an entire enterprise around it—that that's really challenging. I mean, you've 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 probably experienced some of that with freight waves.
0: You know, we um we got into a pretty significant cash crunch and during COVID. Sure, started COVID. Uh, timing was not on our side, and our business fundamentals slowed. I mean, we were at one point triple-digit growth year over year uh, heading into 2020, and it dropped from like I don't remember the number 150 percent year over year to like eighty percent. Sure. But it was enough to like slow down the story. And we had timed our capital raise for January of two thousand twenty. We ran a process starting in January two thousand twenty. We were expecting term sheets in March of two thousand twenty. And we only had cash to May. Sure. You can imagine when all of a sudden the like and half my revenue was events like this, physical events. Sure. Where we were doing eleven million dollars, five point five of that was in physical events. And like the world's changed. Yeah. And for us, it was a timing deal uh, mechanism. But one of the advantages of that was we got really disciplined on cash. Sure. And we did not add significant amounts of people during the COVID increase. My business, you know, Freightways business went from, if you take the full of business from $11 million in 2019, it's up 4X in, in that from 2019 to today in terms of a 400% increase. But our staff levels from January, we had 152 employees. And I think the latest number is like one hundred and sixty one like I've added eight percent of the employees on a four hundred percent revenue growth, and yeah. it is different. We have had to do the discipline thing because we were naturally capa- like um, uh, financially constrained right like I had to make the choice of what I call blitz scaling, which is this concept of throwing money for the sake of growth, I had to make the choice that I couldn't run the business that way. And I largely fired myself from every functional job because it's a lot more fun being the CEO of a business that gets to throw, like burn money and grow sure. at all costs and hire all these people and do these great things than it is a business that actually has to perform. And so I largely fired myself from those roles. Mm. The, the fact that we were constrained for the last three years meant that we didn't get drunk on the COVID excesses. Sure. I think Convoy's biggest challenge, and Convoy's not the only one, on a we spent a lot of time talking about company. They didn't have to face those constraints. I mean, if you look at their cap table, you had Bill Gates and Henry Kravis and Jeff Bezos and, you know, uh, uh, Reid Hoffman. I mean, yeah, you Google just go through the list, and it's like the dream team of corporate of tech corporate America. Sure. And I think they fundamentally thought they would be able to raise capital. I never had delusions of grand, of the fact that I could somehow fight gravity if my business didn't perform. I didn't you know we have a great set of investors but they reminded me hey like you you run out of cash you run out of options and you put you put yourselves in a really compromising position that certainly forced me to to think differently about my business but i, I don't think convoy faced that but there's a lot of the startups you've talked about the fact that a lot of these startups that raise capital at really high valuations are effectively point solutions sure is they're solving one narrow piece of the pie where where we, we spent of time talking about brokerage but there are a lot of other solutions in this space that have also been richly funded where have been the excesses uh, across the market
1: yeah i mean it's uh, so i'm not sure that i would call it an excess but but i look at the visibility space as you know you look at project 44 four kites like they've done They've done incredible things and have and have driven a lot of automation and change in the space. But but in terms of the vision of what they want to be and the impact that they want to have on on for their customers, um, you know, they have a long way to go. And 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 both businesses, I mean, Jet came out um, when 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 Project 44 um, did some some riffs. A few months ago, I mean jet did an open letter and talked about how their focus is on maximizing value for their customers. I mean, the reality is they and this kind of goes back to businesses under my opening comments about the the customers under investing in maximizing the value of the technology that they 're investing in, like the I mean, this is the challenge. Is like you you would think that in today's world between data available from Sonar, Project 44, green screens, uh, like, you know, I mean, historical data. Like if, if you take five or six of these data sources, theoretically, someone should be able to predict with 95 plus percent accuracy who's the best carrier, who's the best driver, who's the best capacity provider, what, what's the right rate for your business, when's the, when's the truck going to arrive? And the reality is like, a lot of these customers are buying tech and then they just kind of plug it into what they have. They're not actually changing the way that they fundamentally do business as a result of the technology. They're using it to make an incremental improvement on what they already do today. And, and that's what I think is the biggest existential threat to the venture back tech companies, is that is that their is that uh, right or wrong? Like you're almost you as the as as the as the CEO of of Freight Waves and Sonar, like you're almost you're subject to the success to, to the attention that your customer puts to, on maximizing value of your
0: product. Absolutely, I I also think we're we're subject to the success of the other technologies that have been invested. I mean, one totally. of the biggest challenges that we've had at Sonar is, you know, we sell largely to the enterprise market is really our core focus, mm-hmm. enterprise customers. Um, we largely recognize that the SMB market is very volatile. A lot of companies going bankrupt in freight uh, sure. in the SMB market. The challenge is a lot of, we're also going after the same wallet essentially, that the four kites and Project 44s and other enterprise class software services have sold into. And these, to your point, these decision makers are looking at and said, hey, you know, I spent, I don't know, million on a million dollars on a visibility solution, and I don't know that I got the ROI. Sure. And what we've seen is a, a slowdown in deal activity, because now CFOs and procurement, because we're talking corporate enterprises where the decisions are made, sure. are sitting saying, hey, I didn't get an ROI on this technology that you brought me, decision maker.
1: yeah. Why, should, Why I? should
0: I invest in other technologies? And they actually have very different sort of use cases. Totally. I mean, our u- primary use case is to understand this balance of supply and demand and rate, the cost of moving freight across the market, which is very different than the value proposition of a visibility system. But when it comes out of the supply chain budget for technology, mm-hmm. we're only as good as the, as the budgets that ForKites and P44 and Vision and all these other providers if they have achieved success or not. So we have a vested interest in all of these solutions winning. Sure. Because it helps our business. If they aren't winning, then it, then it hurts the whole, the whole lot of them.
1: Yeah. And what I think is interesting, uh, like picking up on the nuance of language that you used, the question isn't, we didn't get an ROI on this. It's, we don't know if we've gotten an ROI on this. I, th- there's a big distinction there. They're not they're not suggesting they haven't gotten value out of it. It's that they can't. They don't know how to calculate the RO, the impact that it's had on their business.
0: I mean, that, at, at a dollar, I think of visibility yeah. tracking. So a dollar a, a load or whatever the sort of KPI that we're using in the sort of unit basis. If you actually are able to achieve real time tracking and know where your freight is, you're immensely successful. One of the things I hear on visibility is that like you can't track every single truck. There's no, com- the compliance element hasn't been there. The, mm-hmm. the thesis was, I'm going to buy the solution and I'm going to get 100% implementation across my network and I'm going to be able to see where all my freight is at all times. That just isn't happening mm-hmm. at that degree. And I think they recognize as an ROI on visibility if I can truly get 100% compliance, but they're not able to achieve that. And I think that's where one of the, the gaps is, at least that's what you know feedback we've been, we've heard.
1: Yeah, and and even you know within ROI, like at the risk of kind of putting putting my consultant hat on. Like, you know, it's there's hard and soft ROI too, right? I mean, like with, with visibility, kind of the the obvious one was if we have X number of people making Y number of phone calls that we pay Z, like if we can reduce those phone calls, then you can back into, that is a direct cost reduction from investment in the technology. Those phone calls don't have to happen. You don't need as many, Logistics coordinators, or transportation analysts, or whatever, whatever they're called. Whether you're a shipper, a 3PL, or a carrier, um, uh, you know. But but a lot of the value of these te- of these plat- of these technologies when, when they go out and sell, like to me, it seems like the direct the direct cost savings are kind of the foot in the door. But like the real sales pitch is all of this other all of the soft stuff that you can do hey you'll be able you'll be able to to better negotiate with with your carriers because you have all this information that you can use to hold them accountable like you'll be able to improve your operations it'll be a better customer experience like okay cool that all makes sense like I can sell that to the board the CFO whatever but then you know a year later post implementation we're in you know everyone has almost everyone has a constrained budget right now and 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 the reality is like i don't think that the cfos are wrong for going back to the business sponsor saying hey you 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 sold me and the organization on this technology based on all of these benefits and we've only really been able to see a little bit of this one
0: who is who's dropping the ball is it the companies themselves is it is it providers like us and P44 and Forkites? Is it the businesses that bought something on this sort of unrealistic expectations? Is it is it priorities shifted? Is it all of the above? Yeah, I
1: I think that there's mutual accountability with the, I, I, I mean, really, I, I think it's the, cus, c, you know, c, customers, the buyers of the technology play a role and have some accountability,
0: as do the technology companies. So, what did we do wrong? And I, I'm, I'm p- picking on myself, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I've got Kathra's in the room, so tell yeah, me I where, love we, where we got it wrong in terms of we didn't deliver the value proposition that we promised. Where is we as an industry, and frankly, where did we get it wrong? I think that the miss was
1: oversimplifying oversimplifying the value and the effort needed to achieve that value. I mean, this is something, you know, we do, we do is, as you mentioned, like we do tech consulting, we have partnerships with some, with some technology companies. And, and one of the things that we've, you know, it's obvious to everyone, you don't want to be, after having signed a deal, go to a customer and say, by the way, we need another 50 K to put an implementation team on your product to get the most value out of it. Like, I, I think that, that where the tech companies fell short is not is not making that a part of the sales process from the beginning. Hey, the reality is this is a this is an enterprise grade solution that's gonna have a big impact, but it also requires a fair amount of lift. And 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 from the pitches, the pitch decks that I've seen, more often than not, you know, this I mean, especially if it's a competitive deal, you wanna come off as the easiest
0: Provider for implementation. That's- I, I know you're not talking about freightway sonar. Yeah, I don't have a professional services line item. Right, we don't actually charge implementation. But um, but I think, but I think point that's is, an is- I think that's. I mean, look, I, I think it's it is interesting because there is a difference between selling a like. There's good and bads of every business model, right? Sure. There are flaws in. Hey, here's a data product. Go implement it. You know this. This has this great API, and you can ingest it into a system. And companies, from my observations on our business, companies that actually do the work and put the API into some decisioning system mm-hmm. and actually have someone dedicated to overseeing it are immensely successful. So totally. we get high renewals and, and and upsells. The companies that buy the solution and don't do the work on their end, to your point, and it may be one or two or three resources is it. Totally. Human resources, they apply to it, is where we tend to see churn. Is there, you, know, you go from the, the, the buyer of the product really wants it, they turn over, and we know how much turnover in corporate America has existed in the last 36 months. If it is not embedded into the company further than a single decision maker, yeah. this is our experience. It's unlikely that we're going to see a renewal out of that client.
1: It's blowing it. I mean, you're blowing in the wind.
0: And, and I think we've had to invest significantly in our customer success function to to basically manage that process. To and we look at everything from you know Dow and Mal metrics to to MPS uh, uh, sure. scores, all the stuff that SaaS companies spend a lot of time because effectively, if we sell a solution as a SaaS business and they churn within the first twenty four months, I probably have lost money on that client at least sure. in the twelve months for sure. For sure. And so the worst thing for me is to sign something and the client churn out and I don't get the chance to I would rather not have them as a client. You'd almost rather
1: not have it because it impacts your churn, That's, your your
0: absolutely. LTV. It, it kills your business. Totally. And, and because it, the co- the cost of, of training the client to use the product because we don't charge professional services means that I have to recoup the business from multiple years of a relationship. Totally. Which I'm incented to do that. But I think what we what I have I think what you're saying is there are products in this space, visibility is an example of that, where the cost goes beyond the first check and beyond the first subscription. It's not just a subscription. It is the professional services line item that comes alongside that is where a lot of the issues are.
1: It could yeah, or or, or the lack thereof of that line item. I mean, you know, and, and this your point around if there's if there's a champion at the customer for your product it can't be
0: just one person well yeah because you're you're screwed if that person leaves
1: if if there are multiple champions who are committed to seeing it as successful then then the product will be successful and the customer gets value out of it i mean that that when i said earlier that 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 the tech companies are partially to blame but the customers have some accountability in the challenges too the reality is every customer that's ever bought FreightWave Sonar has also probably bought some other technology Without somewhere. And, and, and the reality, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we go into a customer who says Salesforce is the worst CRM. It's <laughs> like, okay, sales, the world operates on Salesforce. And my first question is, how much did you spend on implementation? Second question is, how much did you spend training your people? And- almost, I mean, without fail, it's like nothing or, oh, we we emailed out some PDFs and we didn't really configure the system. We thought we'd just implement it and then tweak it. It's like, okay, you don't hate Salesforce. You just hate their default sales process because it doesn't match yours.
0: I mean, Salesforce, we're a Salesforce shop at Freightways. It works because we have teams of people that actually manage, totally manage the data, clean the data, and manage the process, um, and it's not Salesforce's fault that, that it, to your point, you didn't do that because they're selling a big, big piece of software across a lot of enterprises. It's it's the responsibility of the client to do some of that work.
1: Well, and and fault is an interesting word too. Like, is it? This goes back to to something that I was that I got at earlier, which is. It doesn't really matter whose fault it is. If it doesn't get done, you're gonna turn the customer eighteen months in. It's gonna hurt your business yep. and you're 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 worse off as a result. It hurts the ROI for the customer. That that's I think that that's I think that that's a, a big challenge that we see with with many if with with many many software companies in the space, so
0: I want to own a shift a little bit. Yeah, uh, in the conversation, um, you're always a provocative sort of thought leader here. Um, I have this theory about so you mentioned Salesforce. People love to hate it. Sure. Every industry I've been in, anytime there's a dominant player, doesn't matter. It was in the fuel card business. People love to hate Comdata. Sure. Uh, in the uh, mobile communications business, they used to hate co- uh, Qualcomm. Like yeah. Anytime you have it, in load boards, they love to hate DAT. Sure. And it, it strikes me that um, as markets naturally construct themselves, I almost wonder, does, do, do we end up in a situation, I see this at Flying where everybody hates the number one listing provider. I have this theory about businesses when you have these sort of duopolies or these really tightly controlled markets, and there is a market leader, everybody loves to hate it. Sure. Is that, is that your experience as well? Yeah, of course. So, who is who are the companies in our space that drive this industry the most nuts? Where are the companies that have created the most strain or pressure on this industry that people just they want to take down? They dream of taking them down.
1: Well, and I, uh, I think it's you know you've you've done the um you and I have talked about it's a lot more fun to be the pirates. I think that there's an element you know it's a lot more fun to be the pirates than the navy. See, so, you, know, you wave the Jolly Roger flag. Um, like I, I think that there's an element of it. Like it doesn't, it, you know. You mentioned DAT, and and there's some. I think you know, folks in the room are aware of of some of the things that they've done to make themselves to self-select
0: into being. that. They have certainly volunteered. Work. Yeah, they've and this is a four that. or five year shift. Totally. When when it was the old management team before Claude came into the business, Claude's gone. Yeah. When it was Don Thornton and Fergus and Buck, it was a pretty passive totally like it may have been the big sort of platform in the space but it was a very passive sort of benign yeah. leader in our market that culture has shifted in the last five years totally um
1: and 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 so the the distinction i would make is that i think that there are some like like dat that have maybe selected into being they volunteered, they've volunteered they volunteered to the be grid. to be um to be kind of like the 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 big the the the, the bigger player, if you will, that that people hate, um, and then you know I I look at like uh, I think I think some of the legacy TMSs have had experience where maybe at different points in time um, they've 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 done actions that maybe made them an incrementally easier. Antagonist, but I also I go back to customers underinvested in training and implementation, and then all of a sudden, like it's it's because their TMS provider sucks. You're talking so, about like Trimble. I'm talking about Trimble, like- McLeod. Uh, I'd put Trimble, McLeod, and Mercury Mercurygate kind of all in that bucket, and like you know, I I mean we 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 do work with all of them, but I, but I would say that they've done some things that have made them an easier target, and the industry hasn't really been kind or given them the energy that they deserve to be successful. And that goes back to this, this, this comment I've brought up a few times, which is like, it doesn't really matter whose fault it is, perception is reality. And the reality is if people aren't happy with, if, you're, if technology is not doing what it's supposed to be, it doesn't matter why the headline is, the technology sucks.
0: So Pete, in sort of thoughts on what companies can do or startups that sort of, when you had this dominant leader, that exists for a reason for whatever the market sort of natural. Yeah. Is. How does a company go and address do they pick off the areas where the com- the company has created the most tension. How do we take TMS for an example? Where do you think the opportunities are for an upstart?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because before you said TMS, I was going to say, you want to go to kind of like the lowest friction, um, and kind of like least amount of day to day operational pressure. What TMS way? does is like <laughs> so. The TMS exact. is the hardest. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, TMSs are a really difficult place to be in, and I think that that's um, it's because they're so embedded. I mean, they're the backbone of these businesses, and um, it, but at the same time, like if you look at if, you know for a three PL or a or a carrier. Like their TMS is almost is effectively their ERP. And I can tell you that if you went into like a mid-market shipper and told them that you were going to rip out their ERP, put in a new one and not and, and spend $20,000 on implementation, the whole business would look at you like you were out of your freaking mind.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, that's the same thing we saw on field gardens when I was in that business is it, like to replace com data, which we've talked about how much people love to hate them. It was, it was hard because you were having to replace a, a business that they didn't pay for because the, the interchange paid for it to the back end. Totally. And they had to get all the drivers with new fuel cards. And so that whole process of sort of overhauling that business was nearly impossible. And that was where the, the opportunity to disrupt data was, was if the, the people that didn't like them were the large fleets. Totally. Uh, the small fleets were like, hey, I'm just going to get credit. And it's interesting when you think about that. So let's talk about what is the easiest part of the market to disrupt. Because you've talked well, about what's... TMS is, we'll, we'll say, is the hardest part of the market to disrupt or among yeah. the hardest groups. What is the easiest and lowest hanging fruit for opportunity? I
1: mean, I think I think some of the easiest are, is, is anywhere where there's a manual, either manual process or an offline, like someone's using an Excel spreadsheet. So I think of like, a, I mean, like, a, you know, green, green Screens has had a ton of success as, a, as, as kind of a, um, a pricing engine because the reality is... Uh, it, more often than not, they're not replacing anything. They're going in and providing a solution where there wasn't one previously. And I think that that model applies across the space. Same thing, you know, with with visibility, depending on when someone adopted it, it was replacing phone calls and emails. Um, like, you know, and, and I'm sure the visibility providers have seen it harder to sell into an account that's already using MacroPoint versus one that doesn't have anything. But what what I think the The reality is i it's not lost on me that when a when an early stage venture bi- venture back business is in growth mode, they want to make it as easy as possible for customers to say yes and they need the recurring revenue to continue fundraising and so the reality is like they're incentivized to invest in customer success, take on the implementation costs in house. The one piece of advice I would give to and, and I guess this applies both to the customers, but, but it's specifically targeted at the, at the software companies, is you need to be really thoughtful about at what point in the scale of your business do you start introducing the need for implementation support beyond you know, your in-house customer success team? And, and just make sure that you have a path to get there. What ends up happening is people, you know, we'll, we'll, see these, we'll see SaaS companies that fundraise to Series C and then realize, oh shit, we have to go back to every customer that's currently in the pipeline and resell them that they need professional s- services or implementation support. Um, as opposed to, oh, we knew that this was coming and starting with series A, all new deals were coming into the pipeline, we're gonna start having that conversation earlier on. Cause, cause like uh, from my perspective and, in, and in my experience, it's not about the actual cost, it's about feeling like you've been sold something when you're already far along in a deal, and then you know, then having finding out that it's going to be more expensive than you planned for, like it's just about having the conversation.
0: Pete, I told you when we came out, we would run out of time before we ran out of topics. Yeah. Unfortunately, we just scratched the surface. Uh, we'll have you back in the spring. We're back in Atlanta at the GICC. That's in sweet. Atlanta. So we'll have back. We'll have a much more. try to add a little bit more time. We have a ton to talk about. Yeah. Really enjoy this, everyone. Peter, thanks, Craig.